When someone comes to us with a question about the Christian life, are we more likely to sit down with them and one-on-one walk them through the truth as we understand it? Or are we much more likely to send them to a YouTube video or a book or to someone else for them to get their answer? You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Over the past few weeks, I've been sharing really the lessons that I've learned over several years of seeing what we would call Christian celebrities or celebrity pastors falling from grace, you know, falling into sin and ultimately losing their ministries or just going so far off the theological deep end that there's really no good sound doctrine to be found in the majority of what they are currently preaching. And while each episode has been different, really the underlying theme to all of them is that there is a really a fundamental flaw with our current model of using a small group of pastors and teachers to cast their teaching nets over thousands upon thousands of Christians that ultimately they will never meet. And so by doing that, what we actually end up doing is making you know this, this core group, these big names in Christian circles, be our primary source of teaching and encouragement and spiritual growth. And so from there, what we end up doing is when someone else is looking for a way to grow or for a way to get questions answered that they have about specific things in the Bible or just Christian living in general, what we're more likely to do because of how we think of these big names is we'll say, oh, well, if you have a question about that, check out this book by this person. Or, you know, let me send you a YouTube link to a a teaching series or a sermon where this pastor or teacher talks about just that thing. And so what we do is we create this kind of cycle where we spend all of our time and energy becoming disciples of someone who can only have a one-way relationship with us. And therefore, We don't know how to actually talk or think through things with others, and instead all we can do is send them to the same person who talks at us or whose books we regularly read rather than being able to disciple them ourselves. Now, you know, before I go further, don't mistake me to say that it's bad that we have big names in Christianity because I don't think that's the case at all. There are men and women out there who are phenomenal blessings to the body of Jesus Christ, where individuals or groups of believers can get together and really grow under these people's teaching or the materials that they create because they use them as a guide to more or less foster small group talk or one-on-one discipleship opportunities, and they create a good framework for us often to follow so that we aren't just kind of diving blindly into the Bible, but instead we can use what they say and what they teach and what they create to act as guides for us to give us, you know, form and and structure to the time that we get together or to even our own personal time of learning. So don't misunderstand me. These people, you know, even the people that we look up to today are wonderful tools 
in our walk with Jesus Christ when we use them correctly. However, as I kind of hinted at already, what that ends up doing is it gives us what I'll call a top-down view of discipleship. Because we want to look to well-known people, people who are maybe have been vetted, who have been tested, who you know our friends or our church uses. We want to look to them to be ultimately our primary instruction and influence for us and for thousands of other Christians. We let them frame our beliefs so much so that when someone has a question about why do we believe what we believe, often we will respond with, oh, well, this pastor says, or I, I read in this book that says, you know, this or that. And so what we do is we become really followers of individuals and their beliefs rather than letting them help us as we understand why we believe what we believe for ourselves. And so when that happens, suddenly we have a very imbalanced relationship because these men and women have become the primary caretakers of our spiritual growth and our spiritual health. But that doesn't work because they don't know us. They're never going to meet us outside of maybe a book signing or something where we say hi for two seconds and then they completely forget our faces. We put so much stock and spend so much time growing under individuals who cannot possibly be expected to be responsible for what we are doing or thinking or how we're even understanding what they teach. Now, in our culture, this makes sense. You know, we have this very popular term that we really throw around, but the idea of celebrity culture is very present in how we treat well-known Christians because we have a certain person that we lift up that everyone can tune in to watch and who makes themselves widely available for others. But what ends up happening is that we kind of live through them. We're never going to know them. They're never going to know us. We only know kind of what they put forth. But we, in our culture, for whatever reason, we worship celebrities. We love having a select number of big names that we can follow, that we can trust, that we can kind of mold our purchasing decisions around what we say, how we dress even, you know, in Christianity, the Bibles that we use, the books we read. We put so much of what we do on the shoulders of a small group of individuals. And as a result, we don't even realize what problems that might be causing us. So take that idea of culture where we have, you know, let's just keep it simple and say we have one person who is influencing thousands of people. Because while some of us might have a few pastors we follow, often someone's going to have one or two pastors or teachers that they really, really are fans of and really follow. So let's say we have one pastor and he is influencing tens of thousands of people around the world. What is the problem with that? Does that really fit with a biblical model? Well, let's consider what Christ commanded his disciples with. So at the end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and in verse 19, what did he say? He says, To go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. So when we read that verse through our own culture, we think, oh, well, that's exactly what's happening. These people are going and they are making disciples. They are teaching people to follow Jesus Christ. They're, they're fulfilling their command. And to a degree, yes, they are. But we often want to stop at that point of discipleship. Because when we think of discipleship, if we're really honest, 
a lot of us think of it this way. Discipleship is either us learning under someone else, you know, whether we are disciples of a mature teacher in our church, a our pastor, or a Christian celebrity. You know, we are disciples of someone. We are learning underneath them. Not that they are our gods or our saviors, of course, but they are teaching us to follow Jesus Christ. We are getting truth and growing in maturity underneath them. And that's good. That is that is one half of discipleship. But then we think the other half of discipleship, the part that we take part in when we are obeying the words of Christ in Matthew, is we think, okay, well, when he says to go and make disciples, that means go and convert people to Christianity. And then we stop there. Now, obviously, a part of disciple making is having someone who follows Jesus Christ, because you can't have someone follow Christ. You can't teach them to obey Christ if they're still his enemy. But so often what we do is that is where our understanding of discipleship stops. Either we are learning and growing under the wisdom and maturity and knowledge of someone else, or we're just trying to save someone's soul and then get them in church where our pastor can disciple them, or we can send them books and YouTube videos or you know audio or whatever of teaching so that they can then grow in discipleship. And so when we do that, we create almost an imbalanced economy in spiritual growth, because we have people that we are under, and they are pouring in their teaching, their knowledge, their wisdom into us. We are growing and flourishing under them as they draw us closer to Jesus Christ. But then we just kind of sit on that knowledge. We 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 think, oh, well, I need to be a little more mature, a little more knowledgeable. I'm scared, or I don't have good opportunities, or you know, whatever reasons we tell ourselves. We take from others, we consume what they produ- what they create and produce for us, but then we don't find others and let them grow under us in that same way. And so it's this, like I said, it's an imbalanced economy where we are taking in so much knowledge, but then just trickling out just a little bit where, you know, we'll post things on social media or we'll tell someone kind of the basics of Jesus Christ. But as soon as someone is saved, as soon as they ask Christ to save them from their sins... That's kind of where we stop. And then we just shove them under someone and have someone else take responsibility for their spiritual health of this person that, you know, maybe we led to Christ or someone that we know is a fresh Christian. And the real big issue with that is that that doesn't match the church model that Jesus Christ and his apostles set up in the New Testament. Because as we read things in the New Testament, as it relates to the church, we see that, yes, there is kind of this global body of believers where we all are part of of what's called the invisible body of Jesus Christ. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We are all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there's also a lot of talk about a local body of believers, something that only makes sense when we are having intimate and face-to-face interactions with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, or in our technological age, at the very least, telephone conversations and things like that. You know, we just see a, a pattern and a model of personal one-on-one discipleship and even responsibility for the spiritual health of one another, not just having one person teaching tens of thousands, but really one person teaching another person who teaches another person who teaches another person. You know, the idea of disciples who make disciples. That is what we see in the New Testament. And just a few places that I want to kind of look at. Uh, the first is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. It says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, 
just as you also are doing. But we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you and are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now, stripping away how we typically think of discipleship, how we typically do daily living with other Christians. Think about what this has to look like in our lives today. So Paul here talks about encouraging one another, build up one another. That is not encourage others. That's not sit under someone who encourages you and builds you up. It's a circular relationship. I build up you, you build up me. I encourage you, you encourage me. It's meant to be done in a in a familiar setting where we are, we know one another. It's not, you know, me here on a podcast bringing you encouragement and therefore we are fulfilling what the church is supposed to look like. And obviously I hope something like this podcast or my blog is encouraging to people and, you know, draws them closer to Jesus Christ. But I don't want what I do to be anyone's primary source of spiritual growth. I don't want me to be someone's Bible or for me to be someone's church. Because as we see here, as we keep going on, it says, when talking about our leaders in the church, it says to recognize those who diligently labor among you, not just those who diligently labor for Christ, but those teachers and preachers who are with us in our church. And he, he clarifies, and those who are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction. You know, what are we called to do? We are called to regard them very highly because of their work. In other words, we are supposed to hold up and lift up those who serve us and who love us and who lead us, not someone who is in California while we live in Maine or someone who's in you know, Australia while we're in England, but to lift up those who work among us, who are in leadership among us and over us in the local church, in our local body of believers. And so here, this, this really sets the framework for what a church is supposed to look like. It is supposed to be a constant relationship of us taking responsibility, us lifting up one another and having individual personal known leaders who are responsible for our souls. Because whatever pastor you have who, you know, you listen to their sermons weekly or daily, whatever podcast you listen to, whatever books you read, that person is not in leadership over you. They don't labor with you alongside you because they don't know you. And I'm sure they love you. I'm sure they want you to grow because why else would they do what they're doing? Why make you your stuff available over the internet if you don't want people to grow under it? But ultimately, we have to realize that they are not in a position of leadership like our pastor is. They aren't able to grow us like a teacher in our churches. And likewise, we can't encourage them or build them up because we don't know them. You know, in Hebrews 3.13, likewise, we see again to encourage one another day after day. So it's not just, hey, you know, I've really grown under your ministry. It's meant so much to me. It helped me get through a dark time. You know, this encouragement, this call to love and serve alongside other people is a day-to-day thing because it's meant to be done with those who are around us ultimately. Further on, Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 Let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, 
you know, here even we see the writer of Hebrews talk about not abandoning meeting together, not just casting it aside and never doing it again. In other words, this is this is talking about the idea that we have in the church today, or really not in the church today, I suppose, of, you know, I'm, I'm a cowboy Christian. I, it's just me and the Holy Spirit. You know, all I need is the Bible to grow. I don't need church because the church is full of hypocrites and sinners and wicked people, and I don't need them because, you know, they aren't following God or, you know, whatever. And we, we let all these excuses build up and pile up, and ultimately, we are not fulfilling our purpose on this earth, which is to not abandon meeting together, but instead growing one another, encouraging one another in love and in good deeds. But it's not always just a happy thing, right? We aren't just called to, you know, high five people and get everyone, you know, jazzed up. In Romans 12, 15, we see another function we have in discipleship, in the growth of us and those around us. And here Paul says to rejoice with those who rejoice, which is nice, awesome. You know, we love that but also weep with those who weep. So how do we do that? How do we genuinely feel joy and excitement for someone? How do we feel genuine loss and sorrow when they are in pain? You know, whether they've lost a family member, they're sick, they're struggling financially, whatever. How is it that we not just say, you know, thoughts and prayers to someone, but genuinely weep, mourn, suffer alongside them, feel their pain with them? You know, I would argue that we can only truly feel joy and sorrow for someone if we know them, if we have invested in them. And that is the kind of half of discipleship that I think we often miss out on. Because yes, we, we can see, we can find verse after verse, and those who have been hurt by the church or feel like the church has failed them will say, well, look, the Bible says they need to you know, build me up, they need to encourage me, they need to you know, mourn with me and rejoice with me. Yes, people are called to invest in us and to do so to serve Jesus Christ. But that's not just a call for other people. We are also called to invest in people. And so when we understand that, when we realize that it is a constant back and forth, it's a give and take, it's a cooperative venture, then we realize that church and even the Christian life isn't about what we get out of it, but instead making sure that we are maintaining a proper relationship with other believers. You know, and so the the verses that I've kind of shared show us that we need to encourage one another and we need to share in the lives of other people, but we are to do so under the watchful guidance of those leaders who know us, who can encourage us, who can help us see our weaknesses or develop our strengths, who can, you know, really speak into our lives because that is their job. They are called by Jesus Christ to be shepherds over us, to guide us. And when necessary, leaders and other brothers and sisters in Christ are called to call us out on our sin. You know, and we see this in Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2, which says, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So what we see here is that Christ set up the universal church, right? The invisible body of all believers today and in the past and in the future. But within that, he also set us up to exist in a personal community. 
and within that community, we are not called to be faceless students of some big name celebrity, but instead we are called to get our hands dirty as we live our lives next to other followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to submit to the authority of a very particular pastor or set of pastors in our local church who are responsible for our spiritual health, even calling us out on sin. And as we mature, they are likewise called to equip us to disciple others. So let's go back to how we often misunderstand discipleship. I shared that we all have the right idea that discipleship is us growing under the wisdom and knowledge and teaching of another believer in Jesus Christ, but that we miss it when we think that our part of discipleship is to just tell people about Christ, which is really only a part of it and potentially even a small part, because yes, we are called to preach the gospel to others, but we aren't called to just get people saved and sit them in a pew, check a number off on our list and say, hey, we did it. Because if we are calling someone to follow Jesus Christ, we are calling them to a lifetime of going against everything that is natural to our sin nature. And how are they going to do that if they don't have someone who has walked through the struggles of life, who has grown themselves to show them, to be there to answer questions, to help them know how to just read this sometimes confusing book and to understand it for themselves? How are they going to know how to balance the Old and the New Testament? How are they going to know what's going on in Revelation or how to even try to start understanding something like that? We often think, oh, well, I just need to send them to someone who knows more than I do. That makes sense, right? It's logical, but it's not necessarily biblical. If all we are doing is just acting as the middleman between someone with questions and someone who has answers, then we have one of two really big problems. One, we don't know enough ourselves to answer their questions, which should show us not that, oh, well, at least I, I can pass them off to someone else, but instead it should show us that we see where we are so weak that we cannot be of service to another believer of Jesus Christ, and we need to do something about that. We need to, you know, possibly repent of sin that is stopping us from pursuing it. We need to, you know, put off you know, whatever distractions we have in life so that we can put on the things that will help us get more understanding of the Bible, of Christian life. That's one problem. Another problem might be that we are just lazy or scared in that we don't really care enough to help people. We see the easy answer. You know, we can either spend two minutes looking up a YouTube video or three hours meeting with someone. It is much simpler, much more convenient for our very busy lives to just shuffle them off to someone else that can hopefully give them all the answers that they need, rather than finding time to go somewhere, to meet someone, to maybe talk to someone that we may not have anything else in common with other than Jesus Christ, and, you know, potentially risk looking foolish if they ask us a question that maybe we don't know or don't know right offhand. And so whether it's because we don't know enough or we know enough but just can't be bothered to help someone, when we do that, when we let another teacher that we can't know and who can't know us be responsible for the spiritual health of someone, then they're not going to grow as they're meant to. We are not going to grow as we're meant to because you know we're called to be disciples of someone but also to disciple another person. And either form of discipleship, either side of that coin— is a very personal thing. It's a 
one-on-one thing where we really invest in the life of someone else and they invest in us. And so let me share just from my own personal experience where the big issue with this is. So years ago, when I stopped ultimately chasing foolishness and I got under the discipleship of someone who would eventually become one of my closest friends, you know, we would meet together once a week, Saturdays at, you know, someplace to eat because, you know, we're, we're Baptist leaning. So you have to have food when the Bible's involved and we would meet and we would talk and I would just bring just a barrage of questions that I had and a barrage of complaints that I had about the church and, and the Christian life and things like that. And he would sit down with me and he would show me how to find these answers. He would kind of give me back and forth dialogue to clarify what I was asking, to sometimes even let me tie up my own noose to hang myself because I would be a hypocrite with one belief over another, whatever it was. That was where a lot of my growth came. Now, in time, as I started craving more than just our weekly meetings, he started turning me on to some you know really good uh, preachers and teachers, and I was finding my own good preachers and teachers to listen to on the side. And so every day, sometimes for several hours a day, I would be listening to sermons or listening to teaching ministries of these well-known, you know, Christian big names. And it was great. I got, I will admit, I got a lot out of it. I jumped forward a lot in combination with those weekly meetings with my friend because I was hearing even more teaching. I was hearing things by someone who knew more and more. But here's the problem. I would get a lot of knowledge and understanding and sometimes even a decent amount of conviction from these hours upon hours that I would spend six days out of the week listening to someone else. But during those one or two or three hour meetings that I would have with my friend, that is when God would grow me the most. And it wasn't because there was something magical about the guy who was discipling me, but it was because he could invest in me and he could make sure that I understood what it is that we were talking about or that I was asking questions about. He could catch me in any wrong understandings or poor application of, you know, a part of the text, or he could just invest in me and just say, how are you doing? How is this thing going? Where can I be praying? And my growth then could be based on what God was allowing me to personally go through at that time because we could, you know, divert our conversations to different topics that were really foremost on my mind rather than just whatever this preacher or teacher was putting out on the internet that day or that week. And so that gave me an incredible view of what discipleship is supposed to look like because while I could, you know, take in all this information, I could consume and you know, more than I could possibly do deal with. All I would do, it would ultimately at a certain point, I would just be acquiring knowledge. I would be hearing talking at me, but I had no one to really hold me accountable to turn that knowledge into action. And I had no one to even make sure that I was really understanding the things that were being said. And so as I have then had discipleship opportunities with other, whether it's with my family or with people at church or just in, you know, conversations I have with someone where it's not, you know, a weekly thing, but just a good conversation that we have. I have seen the incredible value of even if I will never have the knowledge or the teaching quality of these people who, you know, write the books and have these, you know, national or international ministries, even though I'm never going to be there, I'm not going to be that person. What I have seen is that even in my own foolishness, even in my own inability to sometimes speak well, to remember the right scripture, 
I have seen God use me in building up others in knowing how to rejoice with them or to weep with them and how to help others really take knowledge that they get and apply it to their lives because I can have a back and forth. I can ask clarifying questions. I can invest in them, not just spiritually, but even just in how their life in general is going and even help them to apply a biblical worldview to that. And in return, they are also able to invest in me in the same way to where even if our relationship is such that, you know, I am considered maybe the leader in the spiritual part of the relationship, we are still able to obey the call of Jesus Christ in our lives to build up one another, to encourage one another, to have a proper disciple relationship with one another because we aren't just one person talking at another. We aren't just one person you know, opening our mouths and just consuming everything that we can, but instead we have a you know, good back and forth relationship that may not leave us you know, with as much knowledge as you know, one of these, if you will, smarter teachers might have. But our individual lives change and grow closer to Jesus Christ because we are following the model that God has given us. And that is what, you know, if, if the idea of just, you know, one Christian celebrity talking to tens of thousands of people, if that is a top-down view of discipleship where they just kind of cast their net widely and whoever falls under it is who falls under it, I would say that a true biblical model of discipleship is much more of a bottom-up style, where instead of, you know, just casting out words to thousands of people you'll never know, instead, we are starting at the ground level and, you know, really kind of building someone up like we might with Legos or building blocks. And by that, I mean, we are invested. We are down at their level. We are seeing intimately what is happening in someone's life. We are refining how we talk to them. We are encouraging them and being encouraged by them. We are in the mud, in the dirt together working. It may not be pretty. It may not be perfect. And we may sit there as disciplers and think, man, I am doing a horrible job of this. You know, if, if, you know, they could just talk to this person who wrote this book, if they could just be under this pastor, it would go so much better for them. You know, why God did you, did you stick them with me of all people? You know, we're going to feel like that. But we got to remember that God's ways aren't our ways. Just because it may make more logical sense for the smartest Christian to be the one who teaches everyone doesn't mean that that is how God has set it up. And so when we have this idea of building people up, discipling them from the ground level, then what we end up with is not just, you know, books and, you know, other content that we passively take part in, but instead we have a one-on-one relationship with somebody. We have intimate knowledge of people. We let them see us in our weakness and in our imperfections. They are able to find all those ways that we might mess up our understanding of something or our teaching or how we respond to someone. You know, we can be corrected by people and we can correct them in their error because they know us and we know them. And so if I were to kind of really just sum up the entire point of this episode, or if there's one thing you're going to walk away with... I want it to be that if we are going to truly follow Jesus Christ, then we need to be disciples who make disciples and not just fans of a particular celebrity who turn other people into fans of them as well. You know, yes, the big names in Christianity have their place. They can be wonderful tools for us to sit down with someone 
and, you know, go through a book or a teaching series together as we try to, you know, understand God better through that. But we cannot be either ignorant and unwilling to learn enough to be able to serve others in the way that God calls us to, nor can we be lazy and just say that it's easier to shuffle someone off to, you know, even just our pastor, you know, and just tell someone, oh, if you have questions, just go ask pastor. You know, we, we as Christians are called to be the ones who disciple others, not just our pastors. They're responsible for a group of people, but we as individual members of our church, of our local body of believers, we are the ones who are called to grow and to grow others. Now, this is going to be the end of this kind of loosely held together series where I've just been, you know, looking at all the things that I've learned during all these scandals within Christianity and where it is that I think these, these big name people fall and why we need to stop building them up. You know, up till now, as a reminder, we've talked about uh, why celebrity culture is dangerous for us and for those who are considered to be celebrities. I've talked about how, uh, we have this toxic desire for yes men. In other words, those who we, we only want to surround ourselves with people who will give us the thumbs up and say, yeah, you're doing great. I've talked about why the local church itself is so central to everything we do. I've talked about how we need to keep in mind that all of our leaders and all of our teachers are utterly depraved and completely without hope outside of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I've shared why the responsibility of teaching is so terrifying and how anyone who is put into that position has to keep that in mind first and foremost, that it's not just this blase thing we can get into, but a purposeful decision where we choose to follow where God is leading us. Uh, Last time I talked about why we constantly need to be pursuing purity and that perfection or, you know, good enough is not something that we can just feel like we're ever going to reach, but instead we need to constantly be killing sin in our lives. And then in this episode, I talked about how we need to have a good biblical understanding of discipleship, where it's not just one person casting out a net and having their teaching fall on thousands of people they'll never meet, but instead we need to be responsible and mature enough to be able to build up others in discipleship, even as we may still be growing under someone else. And on the surface, these are all kind of loosely held together things. And, you know, as I said, my point wasn't just to share why Christian celebrities are wrong or why a particular one is wrong, but instead what it is that from my own experience and what I've learned, what I think we all should learn about what happens when we put too much emphasis on Christian celebrities, especially at the expense of other things. And if there's one thread that I hope has tied all of this together, it's that We have got to put Jesus Christ first in absolutely everything that we do. Christ has given us a way to live, a way to have understanding, a way to have knowledge through his word. And it's not just important to follow the Bible. The Bible is central to everything that we do, everything that we understand, all the decisions we make. If the Bible is not first and foremost in our mind, if it is not our highest authority, then we're going to fail. We're going to fall into sin. It may be a very slow decline into it and we never see it happen. It may be an all at once thing where we just find ourselves falling into a sin that we thought had been dead for years. So whether or not you are in a position of teaching, whether or not you ever become a Christian celebrity or you're just a person at your local church for the rest of your life, 
always remember that whatever we do, when we see someone fall, we know that it's because they took their eyes off the cross. And if we don't want to follow their pattern, if we want to stay faithful to Christ, if we want to stay out of sin and be able to be used by our God, then we need to learn from those Christians who have fallen, who have slipped away, who have fallen into bad teaching and bad theology. And we need to keep our eyes on the cross, let the Bible be our highest authority, and to make God's glory our greatest desire in life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. This is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support this ministry, you can visit me at patreon.com slash onward in the faith. I hope this episode and this series has helped you keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.